Thanks, Stephanie. Praise God. Well, friends, this is the week of weeks. The Muskingum County Fair is here, and uh, that's where some of our people are this morning. They're already over at the corn stand, or they're probably in the pig barn or some places and enjoying that. And I just wanted to just take a moment, and uh, this will now be my 11th Muskingum County uh, Fair and working at the corn stand with all of you. And and yes, we, we raise money, and, and that money, now what you should know is none of that money goes towards our operating budget. We don't need that to survive on. Uh, all of that goes towards mission and extra ministry. And you want to know what? Even if we didn't have those funds, God would provide them another way. He always does, right? That's what I've learned in 11 years I've been there. It's not about, it's not about raising the money. Here's what it's about. It's about relationships. Am I talking to some of the right people here today? If you've served at the corn stand and you built a relationship that you know now better because you were there, raise a hand. I mean, if you want to get to know somebody, you sweat with them for four hours, right? You shuck some corn together, you wait on tables, you, you cook the corn, uh, you clean up. Friends, I've, 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 seen, I've seen six-year-olds all the way to 86-year-olds serve at the corn stand over the course of the last 11 years. And what I love about it is there's a job and an opportunity for everybody. And if you want to get into the fair for free, just come work for us four hours. We'll give you a ticket, and you're, and you're covered the rest of the day. There's shifts in the evening, in the morning, during the day. Some of you say, well, we have kids. That's fine. We'll take one of you. One of you can stay home and watch the kids. The other one can come and work. You say, well, I work. That's okay. You can take a day off. Come take a day off and spend the day with us at the Muskingum County Fair. Friends, it is a blast. I was sitting around the corn, uh, the corn crib just yesterday. We, I think we shelled about five, uh, five totes full of corn in about an hour. But in that hour, I had some conversations with folk that I just don't normally get a chance to have. Got to know some people better, learned something about my truck. They saved me some money on a brake line, praise be to God, because they gave me a suggestion and it worked out, praise God. I mean, you just never know what God's going to do when you get a chance to set some time aside and build relationships. I'm looking forward to serving with you this week. I hope you'll check out the sheet on the way out. There's plenty of spots available, and uh, we're not going to do this alone. We do this as a team, and uh, you want to know what? Uh, before we know it, the week will be gone, so don't pass it up. Take an opportunity to step into it, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. Now, I was about 12 or 13 years old, I think it was, and my family, my parents just decided to get a tent on wheels. Now, if, if any of you go camping, you know what a tent on wheels is. We graduated from a tent on the ground to a pop-up camper. That's, that's what I'd call it, a tent on wheels, right? It was still canvas, except for you were up off the ground. And, uh, and so we were going, we were, we were taking the Griswold uh, family trip across country to go to Wally World. We were going out west. And we had the family truckster, I'm here to tell you, it was the full-blown station wagon, okay, with the Arctic package or something. I forget what, 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 the, what the guy sold uh, Clark Griswold. But, but except for we didn't, it, it wasn't the, the one, you remember the station wagon that had the reverse seat in the very back? Anybody riding one of those? That was really cool, right? That back in the day. Now, this one didn't have the reverse seat, but it was every bit as big and cumbersome as that, 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 that model station wagon, if you remember that. So we were hauling this pop-up camper out there. It was my brother and me, my mom and my dad, our family. Um, my, my sister, Alexis, hadn't come along yet because we, we adopted her later on in life. Um, and we rolled into Iowa. We got as far as Iowa. We were going to camp every night along the way rather than drive through the night. And so we, we, we pulled into this beautiful state park campground in Iowa, and we passed all these campers and trailers, and all these spots were busy. And then the most beautiful, picturesque spots all along the lake were all open, and we couldn't believe it. We thought, what luck. This is great. We're going to get a spot right on the lake. It's gorgeous out. The weather was pristine. 
And so we set up camp to put the pop. This is our first night in the pop-up camper, by the way. We've never done this before. We set it all up, got it done, minimal frustration for my dad because sometimes that stuff can be frustrating, and uh, got it all set up. My brother and I, we walked over to the lake. We were throwing stones in there and doing what 12- and 13-year-old boys do. We were having a blast. Went to bed that night after our bellies were full, and then all of a sudden I wake up in the middle of the night, and the whole camper was shaking violently back and forth like this thunderstorms and, and, and lightning bolts were crashing and light was flashing outside and every time the light would flash I could see what was going on in the trailer and by that time my dad was standing up holding the walls of the camper I could see terror in his face he was freaking out uh, I mean I was I mean I was so scared I didn't know I was I was cut on the corner I was I, I don't know I had my thumb in my mouth I was dry heaving I mean it was terrible I was freaking out I thought we were gonna die I thought at one point in time the camper was gonna lift up off the ground and just blow away and then where's my brother? Asleep right next to me. He's sleeping through the whole thing. And it, this went on for like a half an hour and hours. And, 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 and thank goodness it subsided and we all went to bed. And we woke up the next day, opened the camper door, and stepped out into water. The lake had risen past our camper. And now we knew why all the choice spots were still available for the suckers. Yeah, we had no idea. You see, friends, a giant thunderstorm had rolled in that night, and it blew in quick, and we didn't expect it while other people did. Now, friends, you can get on the weather app, and the weather app will tell you when a storm is going to roll in. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. It's a gamble, right? But no matter what happens, no matter how prepared you are for that storm, you still feel unprepared sometimes when it comes. And the wake of destruction that a storm leaves can be devastating. Some of us saw that firsthand last year when we went down to Mayfield, Kentucky. Two different times, teams from Rolling Plains Church went down there, one in the spring, one in the late summer. We worked with the same family, Miss Ashley and her family, and uh, they had been devastated by a Category 5, I think, tornado. And, and I, m I remember the devastation when I pulled up there. It was like two miles wide, and it just went on for 100 miles, and it was just nothing but devastation. It looked like a nuclear bomb had gone off. Everything was leveled. Everything was gone, friends. Lives were lost. People were displaced. Property gone. Businesses leveled. And so, friends, like bad weather, the storms of life are coming. Like bad weather, the storms of life are coming. And those storms <coughs> are unavoidable. Storms come to us all. That's because storms in our life is a regular part of our life. So in Matthew chapter 7, here's what Jesus says. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, Jesus says, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Friends, we can glean a lot from this story and this parable, but here is the piece we're going to start with today. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter how much you love Jesus or not, storms are coming your way. The storms came to the man who built his house on the foundation of Jesus, and the storm also came to the one who didn't build his foundation on Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how close to God you are. The storms of life are coming to everyone. The question is, according to this word, is are you prepared? Are you prepared for when storms come? And you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, I haven't had a stormy season, and everything's going all right today. Uh, wait till you wake up tomorrow. 
or the next day or next week, next month. We don't know, but the storms are coming. Storms are a natural part of life. So are you prepared? Where are your feet planted when the wind blows? What covering do you have over you when the rains come? What lifeboat do you have when the floodwaters rise? And according to God's word, Jesus is our rock and our firm foundation that covers over us. He is our salvation with the lifeboat of God's love and grace and favor. Now, he, while, not, while he will not prevent the storms always, he will help us navigate through them. So here's another question. How do we handle storms when they come? Are we prepared and how do we then handle storms when they come? And so right out of the gate, here's what we do. Number one, we've got to remember that you're not alone. Remember that you're not alone. That storms come to us all. If, now listen, if storms come to us all, and Jesus is a part of us all because he walked this earth, do you think that storms came to Jesus? Yeah, you better believe they did. He experienced storms of disappointment. He experienced storms of hurt. He knew the demands of a stressful day. He experienced the storms of doubt, and he saw the sting of failure. And for Jesus, that's all in one day. It was a stormy day. And I'm not even talking to you about the day he was crucified. This is another day in the life of Jesus, the second most stormy day of his life. And that day started with the loss of his family friend and finished with the disciples' failures. And so over the course of the next month, we're going to take a look at this day in the life of Jesus to help us navigate the storms and to realize that we are not on our own. We are not alone in the storm. We're going to see a God that is not out of touch with our hurts. But we're going to see a God who bore our pain, experienced our suffering, and thirsted. He wept. He knew sorrow. He knew heartache. And because of that, we're going to be reminded that our God is a compassionate, caring, and understanding God who knows what it is to suffer and traverse and travail through the storms of life. Hebrews chapter 4 says it really, really well. The Bible says, for we do not have a high priest mm, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Friends, we don't just have a God, a, a pie-in-the-sky God, who remained in the safe, friendly confines of heaven and, and never bothered to come to earth and get his, get, get his hands dirty and put his feet on this soil. We don't have a God who's untouched, and we don't have a God who's out of touch. He's been there. He's been there, friends. And he is there right now with you in the boat or in the camper or wherever you're experiencing your storm. You're not alone. It's the God of the universe who is with you to the very end of the age. He is our mighty warrior who saves, the Bible reminds us. And so without Christ, you are on your own without Christ. So, friends, have you ever felt disappointment? That's what we want to talk about today, the storms of disappointment. Maybe you didn't make the team or your child uh, is struggling in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you didn't get the job that you wanted, or maybe you lost the job that you loved and thought that you had. Maybe you have a loved one who's sick and they can't figure out what's going on, or maybe this person betrayed you and it was so bad it rocked you to your core. Friends, there are things that just at times don't feel like they turned out the way that you thought they were going to turn out, and it's easy to experience the storms of disappointment. You've been hurt, and that disappointment was real, however that plays out for you. Now, I'm here to tell you today that the Bible reminds us that Jesus understands disappointment. You know how Jesus understands disappointment? This day that we're talking about, this day of days in Jesus' life, it starts off, he's awakened in the very beginning of the morning with a text message from the disciples that say, uh, your cousin John the Baptist has been beheaded, and you've now lost your loved one. 
Now, friends, it's easy for us to read those words and say, ah, that's God, God can handle that. But friends, he is fully God and fully human, and he feels the full forces of the sense of loss of his loved one, John the Baptist, who he has been told has been executed. He starts his day in the very worst way. I can't imagine a worse way to start a day. In Matthew chapter 14, the Bible says, the the king had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. And then they went and told Jesus. And when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus heard the news and what happened, what did he do? He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Maybe, friends, you've been there. Maybe you got a call from the doctor early in the morning or the middle of the night. Or maybe you sat in hospice holding the hand of your loved one until the very end. Or maybe... Uh, You got a knock on the door, and they announced that tragedy had struck. And so and so in your life isn't going to make it. Friends, these are words that none of us want to hear. I remember I was probably about 10 years old, and I was out in the front of our home uh, playing with my brother. um, And we were playing football or something, I don't remember. And uh, my dad was uh, at the local soccer field, and he was refereeing soccer. He he refereed soccer for years and just enjoyed doing that. My mom came running out to to tell us the news that my dad's brother, my uncle, had just lost his life um, in Detroit, Michigan. He actually had been murdered in in Detroit, Michigan. And I I never forget just the look on her face. And she says, "Uh, you guys take care of yourself. I've got to go to the soccer field and tell your father. And to this day, my dad recalls watching my mom get out of the car without us at the soccer field, walking over to the sidelines. And he knew something was drastically wrong. And she broke the news to him that he had lost his brother in the most horrific set of circumstances. Friends, it is painful. Sometimes it hurts so bad, and the disappointment is so overwhelming. It's a gut punch. it's, It's a knock to your solar plexus, and it knocks the wind right out of you. Maybe for you, you've had a child hospitalized or somebody in your family with chronic health issues. Or maybe you had a fire that took everything or the, everything of your loved one or friend. Or maybe you've heard the word cancer as a very real part of your life or someone else's life. There are so many unspeakable tragedies that leave a family wrecked. Miss Ashley's family in Mayfield, Kentucky, she told us the story of not only how the tornado struck, but she said not but a, a few months before the tor- tornado had come that they'd lost their son to a tragic car accident. Friends, Pain can be unimaginable. I'll never forget as she sat there and told us this story of how the tornado came and wiped away everything, and then when she added the fact that she'd lost her son just months previous. What devastation. Friends, the storms of hurt and disappointment come to us all. And oftentimes we find ourselves asking a question, well, where is God in the midst of all of this? Well, friends, the Bible has an answer to that question. The Bible says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Now, I like other translations that say the Lord draws near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is always there and God is always present. But I'm here to tell you, when you have calamity and pain in your life, oh, God is scooting just a little bit closer. He's got his loving arms wrapped around you. And and if you pay attention, you can feel his tears on your shoulder. You can feel him squeeze you a little bit tighter. And he's saying, I'm right here with you, friends. You are not alone in the storm. You see, God in these moments is not absent. He's right there with you. He's ever closer to you than you can possibly fathom. He's around you, compassionate tears. He knows your disappointment. He feels your pain. So, friends, we know that Jesus and the news that he received would have been utterly devastating 
utterly devastating. And we know this, that he's devastated by the news of the loss of his cousin, because what adds to it is Jesus probably realizes he's next on the hit list, because they're just taking out Jesus' followers. And you can sense the depth of Jesus' pain when he offers no words. You remember that when we read that? It said, and, and Jesus hears the news about John the Baptist, and what does he do? He doesn't say a word, the Bible says. The Bible says that he simply goes off to be by himself. He just goes off by himself. Now, there was, in this moment, perhaps nothing to say. Sometimes the shock of the moment, we have no words under the heaviness of the news. Maybe you've been there. The news is so gut-wrenching. You go to open your mouth and nothing comes out. Maybe you've lost a pregnancy after years of trying, un unable to have a child, and you finally thought this was the answer, and tragedy strikes. Or maybe still to this day, the abuse you experienced as a young person still haunts you, and you can't even speak of it. Friends, the disappointment is real. The hurt is immense. But you are not alone, because neither was Jesus. Even in those moments where Jesus went off to be alone, he was not by himself. What do you think Jesus was doing when he went off to quiet and solitary places in private, especially in this instance, hearing about his loved ones, a loved one being, uh, being murdered? He, he was getting alone to be alone with the Father. Now, there may not have been a physical human being there, but you know the Father was there with him. And so in his time of brokenness, on this stormy day, Jesus leans into the Father's presence. We know that Jesus did this because this is what the Bible says that he often did. The Bible literally says that Jesus often went off to be alone, but he went to be in those moments to be with the Father, to talk to the Father, to pray, to share his broken heart, or to just be and to allow God, the Father, to minister to him and to speak and whisper words of comfort into his heart. So friends, for Jesus, when the news of the morning is too much to bear, he got alone with the Father. And God is challenging you to do the very same thing. God is saying to us, don't get stuck and wallow in our own misery or in this hurtful reality and just play it over and over again. Don't get stuck in the dark cycle of self-pity or don't just keep busy for keeping busy's sake to keep your mind, quote-unquote, occupied. No, you seek to engage with God who draws ever near to you, and you draw near to him. You cry out to him. You lean into him. You let his shade cover you from the scorching rays of the painful moment that you're living in. He will listen, friends, because he's always available. He will hold you, friends, because his arms are, are, are wide enough to care for your greatest struggles. He will cry with you because God knows what it's like to shed tears, because it's what loving fathers do, and it's what our God does. As he whispers into your ear, son, I know your pain. Daughter, I know your pain. And I love you. Friends, we know that God understands our pain because our God watched his son suffer and die at the very hands of the people that despised him, that he was dying to save. He gave us his one and only son to die on the cross for our sins, and he died for the very people that ridiculed him and spat on him and mocked him and eventually murdered him so that we might be able to say, be saved and have a personal relationship with God. God understands pain. He understands struggle. God understands storms. And like this last month's sermon series, God may use storms like he did for Jonah to redirect us, right? With Jonah, hey, by ship or by whale or by withering vine, you're going to get this, Jonah, and you're going to pay attention, and you're going to do what it was that I commanded you to do all along, right? You're going to get this. I mean, <laughs> he gave him a swift kick. 
But then God also uses storms to draw us closer to him. To be reminded all over again of what matters the most. To give us a fresh perspective. To hug our families just a little bit tighter. Oh, he uses storms to draw us closer to him and to appreciate what it is that we have just a little bit more. And to bring us closer to him so we can feel his comfort. And as we feel God's comfort, God will eventually redeem your pain. God will always redeem your pain. He will always redeem your hurt. Because he is not absent in the disappointment. No, he is at work, working a plan. So perhaps the abused eventually becomes an advocate for others who are abused. Or the person battling alcohol eventually gets rescued from that disease and is able to later help somebody who's struggling and battling with alcohol. Or the loved one who lost a loved one is inspired with the comfort of God to be able to comfort other people who have, are hurting and have lost a loved one. You see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-4, through 4, the Bible says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So friends, without hurt, listen to this now, without hurt or without disappointment, how would you ever know what it's like to feel comforted? In other words, if you've never hurt, how would you ever experience God's comfort? If you've never experienced brokenness in your life, how would you ever feel God fixing your life? If, you, if, you've never, if, if you've never struggled in your life, how would you ever sense God providing for you in mir- miraculous ways? Friends, every miracle necessitates a problem. And the problem with Christ followers is we get all worked up when problems happen in our life and we think it's the absence of God. I would say to you the problems in our life are the proof of the presence of God. Because God is using the problems in our life to draw us closer to him and to also sensitize us to the needs of everybody else around us. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I love that, the God of all comfort. You mean in just a few circumstances we'll experience the comfort of God? You know, you break a, break a, you know, break a nail or, you know, your hair just isn't working out that day or, your, you know, your car gets rear-ended? Yes, the God of all comfort. Now, you mean when it gets a little bit more serious and I get a phone call about cancer or my loved one is struggling? The God of all comfort, yes. You, you mean when my loved one experiences a diagnosis that is terminal and they're not going to make it? Yes, the God of all comfort. You mean when my spouse walks out on me? Yes, the God of all comfort. You mean when the boat is rocking and the camper is swaying back and forth? Yes, it is the God of all comfort. He comforts you in all ways and in everything. By the way, the next night we spent in the Black Hills. We made it from Iowa to the Black Hills. We got into the camper again that night, our second night ever in the pop-up camper. And all of a sudden, the wind started picking up and the pine trees started to howl. And, uh, and, and you could see the canvas flapping a little bit. You know what we did? We got out of the camper and slept in the station wagon that night. <laughs> we were so traumatized. We were so broken. And you want to know what? It didn't storm. That's just the way it was in the Black Hills. In the next three or four nights, it was all the same thing. Just the winds were blowing. The trees howled a little bit. And, and eventually, we got used to and understood in time that, yeah, painful realities are going to happen, but they don't have to own our life. But I'm here to tell you, it was a little cramped in that, in that family truckster with the four of us sleeping in there. He is the God of all comfort. And so friends, whenever we experience pain and struggle in our life, 
we get a chance to experience the comfort of the Lord. Now, how would you ever know what it feels like to be comforted if you've never had to be comforted? How would you know how to comfort another person if you've never experienced what it's like to be comforted? Friends, our pain makes us compassionate. Our hurt gives us the capacity to comfort other people. Storms not only draw us closer to God, but storms draw us closer to other people. Don't they? Storms just don't draw us closer to God. Storms draw us to others. They, they, they make us more relatable. It helps us better understand and, and love with better compassion those that are hurting. A compassionate spirit is born out of suffering. A compassionate spirit is born out of somebody who's been through the struggle and seen God's provision and is there to empathize with the person who's now going through the struggle and is hurting right now. So friends, your pain makes you a better minister. Your disappointment makes you a better comforter. You're like, Pastor John, this, I mean, I don't know about all that. Okay, well, let me share this with you. Let me give you an example, a real-world example. And many of you are familiar with Isabel, my daughter. My middle daughter was born with Apert syndrome, and that was a very scary thing when she was first born. Aaron and I didn't know what to do. We'd never heard of it. We weren't educated on it. I mean, automatically she zoomed into life-changing surgeries, 50-50 chance of surviving. Another couple months later, zoom, another skull surgery. We didn't know she was going to survive that. I mean, we, I mean, Cincinnati Children's became like a second family, like a second house down there. We were down there. All, we were living in Dayton at the time. We were always going down there for surgery this and surgery that and struggle this and, and emergency this and, and, and seizure that and all kinds of trials. We didn't know what kind of, what kind of cognitive development she was going to have. We didn't know how she was going to thrive. We were really, really scared, really scared. It was a challenging time. It was a stormy season in our life. Now, we all know how the story, how the story is, ends. I mean, she's, she's an incredible human being. She has an incredible wit about her. She hasn't lost a thing cognitively. She is an amazing young lady. But when, we were, when, we were th- when she was that young, we didn't know a thing. We were so, so scared. I remember uh, one particular surgery. We were uh, down in Cincinnati, and uh, the advocate, the family advocate came to us. We, we built a relationship. We got like a, a first-name basis with half of the staff there, right? All of her doctors and surgeons are there. And so they have a family advocate that knew us well. She came up to visit because we were down there for the surgery. Isabel's back for the surgery. And I'll never forget this. She says to me, she says, you know, John and Aaron, there's a family uh, that's here today. And uh, they have a, a, a child who was born with Apert syndrome. And he, he's about five or six months old. And he's really struggling. But mom and dad are really struggling. And I'll never forget this. She said to me, do you think that you might be willing to go and talk to them? And I'm like, I mean, me? I mean, there's like 6,000 PhDs in this hospital right now. I mean, the, the, the level of education in this place right now is astounding. And, and you, want, you want me to go talk to this family? And you see, then I realized that I was more qualified than anybody else in that entire hospital, not because of my level of education or my pay grade, but because I had mourned and wept and been broken over the same thing that this family was going through. And so I remember, I'll never forget this, I went up there and, and just walking in, in, into that, that room where their, their, their baby boy was laying there on the table, just a beautiful baby boy, and uh, I, I remember shaking their hands and meeting them, and I looked at them and I said, what an amazing young man you have here, what a gift. Now I could say that to them because I've been through it, 
They already knew my story. They knew who I was when I was coming. And, they, and I, could just, I could just feel the Holy Spirit descend upon there. And the peace and the weight that was being lifted off their shoulders, the peace that passed all understanding was transferring into their hearts. And I began to tell them a story. I said, I know he's going to do okay because, listen, let me tell you about my, my daughter Isabel. Now, she's 12 or 13 years old now. I said, she's thriving. She's doing amazing. It's scary, but she's doing great. And I looked at her and I said, your son is going to be okay. As a matter of fact, he's going to be better than okay. He has an opportunity to thrive because look at my daughter. And the weight that was lifted, the peace that just entered into that room, it was just unmistakable. And you see, you had two people that were in the same room. One had gone through what the, the other family is now going through. And they felt what I was feeling. And I felt what they were feeling. And so friends, the comfort that I received from God was now transferable to them. All these years of God comforting me, all the prayers of the saints, the church walking beside us, was now transferable to them because we could relate to each other in ways nobody else could. So friends, you're hurting, and you have a storm that has brought incredible disappointment into your life, but we have an incredible God that, that, that is there, and he's ever-present, and, and the first thing you need to do is realize you're not alone and lean into him and let him draw you closer to him to not get bitter and, and go further away from God, but go closer to God. And as you receive his comfort, the God of all comfort, the God who knows the storms, the God who started off a stormy day with the terrible news of the loss of his loved one, trust in that in time, he is going to bring comfort into your life. And you're gonna, you're gonna get a chance to use the comfort you've received to bring comfort into somebody else's dark moment and in their life. I don't know how it works out, but all I know is God's in control and he's that good. I mean, God is that good, friends. God is that good, that he can redeem the pain. Now, I'm not here to tell you that what's happening in your life is a good thing. I'm not telling you right now that when you've just heard that you, your loved one is deceased, that you should be saying, okay, God's about to do something amazing. No. I mean, those are real pains. Those are real hurts. But in time, God will show us how he is at work and how he's going to redeem that pain to be a blessing in somebody else's life. So friends, let's land a plane here. I want to give you some action steps because we're going to get into the second thing that happens in Jesus' life next Sunday, and it's just going to pile up and pile up all in the same 24-hour day for Jesus. And you're going to be, you're just, you're just going to have a fresh appreciation for how in touch our God is with the storms in our life. So number one, what disappointment are you experiencing? You're like, well, Pastor John, I'm good right now. We don't have any disappointments. Okay, well, tomorrow hasn't happened. Just wait for tomorrow, because you you're, you're going to experience that disappointment. Oh, no, tomorrow was good, too. Okay, well, then wait for the next day, because storms are coming to everybody. So what disappointment are you experiencing? Number two, draw closer to God, because God is ever-present, and he's ever closer to you. He draws near to the brokenhearted friends. He's there, so acknowledge his presence and draw closer to him. Number three, take joy in his comfort. When you feel the presence of God, Take joy in his presence. Take joy in his comfort. And then lastly, let God use you to comfort somebody else. God is going to bring somebody in your path that has been through the broken chains and the, the stormy weather that you've been through. And God is going to set that up because he wants, you to, to, he wants to use you to help navigate that with them. He's going to use you to look at them and say, you know what? I've been where you are. I, God has seen me through it. And your child is going to be okay. You're going to be okay. But I'm here to tell you, even if things don't get made okay here on earth, 
I want to witness to you that I know that my, that I know where I'm going to spend the rest of eternity. So no matter what happens on this earth, I'm good to go. And I just want to know if you're good to go too. I mean, that's, that's the end of the conversation there. Say, well, you know what? You know, th- this ain't going to work out. It's terminal or whatever it is. Okay, that's fine. But if you know Jesus Christ, nothing is ever terminal. It's never over until God says it's over. There's always eternal life waiting for you in Jesus Christ. Amen? And this is our testimony. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you so much for the gift that you have in our life.